Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Well, welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. I'm thrilled that you have joined me. One of the things I really love about my podcast audience is how diverse it is. I hear regularly from uh, people who are from the Muslim community. I hear regularly from people uh, who are in the Hindu community. I'm speaking religiously now. Uh, I hear I have a group of six uh, that I love hearing from. Uh, I've got every kind of Christian. Uh, I've got atheists who listen. I really love that. I really love the diversity of the crowd that I'm able to influence and talk with and dialogue with. And that's why every time I raise religion, uh, you'll hear me say, and so now I'm speaking to such and such a community or I'm aware that some of you don't necessarily believe this, that kind of thing, because I like this podcast being kind of a place where we interact across lines that society often doesn't interact across. But in this podcast, I want to beg the indulgence of those of you who are not Christians, because I want to talk to the Christian church. I'm grateful for all of you. I'm grateful for my Jewish folks who are paying close attention. I'm grateful for every, every part of my audience. But if you'll allow me, In the middle of this coronavirus crisis, I want to talk to the church, talk to Christians, talk specifically to the American church, but this will absolutely be relevant to folks all over the world. As we step into the coronavirus crisis, what's going on, of course, is that limitations on what size crowds can gather have caused churches to have to go online. And so churches are canceling services, they are canceling meetings of every kind, and they are having to conduct services, education programs, staff meetings, and of course their main worship services, usually scheduled on Saturday nights or Sunday mornings, they're having to schedule those online and conduct those online. Now, I'm sorry for the pain. I'm sorry for the hurt. Uh, I'm sorry for those who uh, were not prepared and many, many churches weren't. And so there's some loss. Uh, there's disorientation. There's some angst. Uh, and, and there may be some lost momentum and lost size. But, but I want to say something that, that I, I hope you will take as encouragement. I pastored for more than 20 years, grateful for that opportunity. I pastored a, a church that grew to about 300 uh, in Texas, and then later in Nashville, uh, I pastored a church that was in the thousands. Grateful for the experience, grateful that I'm not doing it now. I don't mean that negatively, but I get to do amazing things now. And I had always thought when I was pastoring that I would pastor for about 20 years, maybe half my professional life or, or a little less and then transition out and go on and do what I'm doing now. And so I'm very, very grateful. But I believe in the church. I'm grateful for the church. In this crisis, the church is making a huge amount of difference. You watch in the American church, for example, once they can begin to get out in the streets and be more uh, active in public, it'll be churches that are feeding the hungry. It'll be churches that are taking care of the homeless. It'll be churches that are uh, reaching out socially and helping to heal the devastation of our society, not taking anything away from synagogues or temples or any other uh, religious stream, uh, but just the sheer size and wealth of the American Christian church will mean and given and given the devotion of most of them as a social good will mean that good things will happen. I know that all of you listening to this know I mean everything I'm saying benevolently and not in any bigoted way towards any other religion. So I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the power of the church, but I am also aware that something has happened, particularly American Christianity, that we need to look at. 
The pattern from the New Testament was in the temple courts and house to house. It was uh, the Christian movement was a movement that needed to be able to scale itself according to the needs in society, according to the needs of the people at the time. The church could go underground without loss. In fact, throughout most of history, when the churches had to go underground, it actually has grown. Um, the people were taught how to give, how to be generous, how to tithe, uh, how to conduct themselves. Leadership structures were arranged in such a way that even if there was no major uh, public meeting, even if there was no in the temple courts kind of experience, which of course is what American Christianity has largely specialized in, um, the people could still survive. The church could survive. There was still leadership structure. There was still what you might call cell churches or house churches um, that were not standalone churches, but were seen as the cells, the um, subparts, subdivisions uh, of the larger church that would meet when it could uh, in, in, in larger venues. And this was healthy. This caused the people in the church to think of themselves as a movement. This caused the church to develop structures that could survive seasons of persecution, could survive natural disasters, could survive plagues, uh, could survive whatever came, certainly could survive leadership changes, certainly could, could survive uh, heretical movements that might sweep through. And so the church survived. The church rose again. Everywhere it's ever been persecuted, it has risen again, or it will. Now, what's my point? This coronavirus situation is crazy, creating great strain, and I understand that. But I want to suggest to you, because I believe this will pass, we will get through it. We will not experience the extreme devastation of a nuclear holocaust that some people are predicting. We will get through this. And on the other side, I urged those of you who are Christians, and certainly the many, many of you who are Christian leaders, many of you who listen to this are pastors and religious leaders of various types, I urge us strongly to consider uh, that this is an opportunity for us to realize what we need to be doing in our churches so we can survive this kind of season again. And let me say clearly, we will see this again. I'm not uh, any kind, I have, I have no medical training. I'm making no uh, predictions regarding exactly what kind of diseases or plagues we will see in the future. But you can be sure we will see plague or something like this virus is like this again. We will see natural disasters. We will experience in some places, um, the, uh, without question, we will experience uh, natural disasters. I've already said that, but we will also uh, experience uh, seasons of perhaps persecution. Uh, there's no, no telling what might bring a need for us to be uh, able to morph ourselves as a church. And so I strongly recommend that one of the things that we take away from this season, one of the things we take away, one of the good things that can come out of this C-19 situation is that we realize that what's being forced on us now needs to become something that we voluntarily prepare for in the future. What's being forced on us now, we should realize is good for us, and we need to be ready to embrace it voluntarily in the future. I suggest that we take away from the C-19 situation a lesson, which is that we need to be ready to morph in the future to face, as I say, natural disasters or persecutions or financial crises or terrorist actions or whatever might befall us uh, that would cause us to have to do what we're doing now in the future. 
And I strongly suggest, this is my most radical suggestion, it's going to surprise some of you. I strongly suggest that when we're past this and we're back to church as usual, we're back in major meetings, we're back um, functioning again, and we've taken some time to regain ground, I strongly suggest that you church leaders lead your church into a, a Sunday a year at the least where voluntarily we have, I'm going to call it a bunch of things, underground church Sunday or drill Sunday, some people have called it, a Sunday where we, where we voluntarily go into homes, do church online, do the major meeting online, teach people in advance how to give online so that, no, so that there's not any loss in giving, teach homes how to become uh, subdivisions of the church, so to speak, so that the church for just one week a year functions like we're being forced to function now, except it's much, much better. Many churches got caught short. They didn't have the technology ready. They didn't know how to do church services online so people could sit in their homes and, and participate. Uh, they didn't know how. They hadn't emphasized online giving. I realize we like passing the plate and want to put that money in, and, and I, I think that's a spiritual discipline, of course. Um, but at the same time, all of us need to be ready to do our giving for that particular week anyway, at the minimum, uh, online. That's not a hard thing to do, and that way the church is sustained. We need to have leadership structures where people are checking on each other at at least a regional level, if not actual cell churches, where you have churches meeting in cells week to week. And that's the optimal. Very, Very few churches in America have actually achieved that. But I'm strongly suggesting that when we get on the other side of this, we take the lessons that we've learned and we have at least a Sunday a year in which we voluntarily go, I'm going to use a dramatic term to overstate just to make a point, but we go underground. We go into homes. Uh, the major Sunday church service is broadcast uh, online, uh, and people are able to worship uh, with in their homes, knowing they're watching what you know whatever the rest of the f- number of folks in the church is, knowing they're watching with the entire body. The church is taught; it's able to give. Um, and during that particular week, I, I would make sure that the leadership structure is making sure that there are leaders uh, all throughout the congregation who are checking on regions or neighborhoods, however you want to subdivide it, uh, cell divisions, uh, regional pastors, however you want to do it. Uh, you're, it, it uh, that's determined by your geography and your size. Um, but that basically for one week, we, we essentially go underground. Now, be, calling it underground church might be too dramatic and make, may make it everybody think of persecution. But basically... Uh, We'll find some language for it, but we figure out once a year, we are going to have church in our homes. The pastor is still going to sit on stage and that's going to be recorded in advance or it can be streamed live, whatever you want to do. But there's no one in the building. There's nothing going on in the building. For at least one Sunday a year, we're acting as though there's another coronavirus or ISIS is walking the streets or there's government persecution, uh, or there's a natural disaster and everybody has to be in their homes. And we're just going to make sure that we're that, that this is part of our culture, that this kind of preparation is part of our culture. I'd make sure that every single family gets a phone call during that same week, as though, again, there's some disaster. They can just tell jokes when they actually get on the phone. The point is that they know how to contact each other. They know who they're responsible for. You understand what I'm saying. 
What's happened this time uh, is that there that this this small service having to stream, having to go online was forced on a lot of people who weren't ready for us. I'll have to say the two churches that I'm a member of, one in Nashville, one in DC, they were well ready for it. Um, I attend a church in Nashville. Bev and I sat in my living room here in DC. We watched the service. We went through the whole liturgy. Uh, we did communion. We had we had bread and wine on our coffee table. Uh, we said the portions that the congregation says out loud. Did the same thing with our church here in DC, in the DC area. Actually, it's in Chantilly, Virginia. Um, we went through the whole thing. We worshiped. We listened to the word. We watched people that we knew well giving testimonies and what have you. Uh, it worked just fine for us. So, but, but what's got to happen is, an, is a corresponding uh, structure, authority structure and system around it. For example, um, if, if one of my churches did a great job with, with streaming a service, but didn't do a great job at all in helping people to give during this time, then they would, of course, experience a great big financial drop-off. Um, so you want to have all those systems in place. You also want to make sure that there's the social network. If we are indeed in coronavirus or ISIS or uh, natural disaster or whatever might cause us to have to go, quote-unquote, underground, who's checking on whom? Who's making sure that there's relief there? Uh, who's able to drive over to the church storehouse and, and, and take a bag of groceries or two to the elderly who can't get out? You understand what I'm saying? This is simple stuff. And we ought to do it voluntar- in a voluntary fashion in the future as a drill, as, as kind of a... And by the way, the pastors, you might want to make that a day in, in which we emphasize the underground church worldwide. We emphasize the persecuted church, that we do it half so that we're experienced with it and half to recognize the millions of Christians who are persecuted and underground and having to live that way. So it can have a dual benefit. It can be your mission Sunday for all I know. Uh, But all I'm saying is we ought to be doing this voluntarily once a year at least making sure all the systems work, the streaming technology, the, the, uh, the online giving, all of it. And I want to tell you something uh, else while I'm, while I'm ranting here for a moment, because I'm only doing it because I care about you. Um, Bev and I have been sitting in our home in D.C. during this coronavirus season. And we obviously, given what I do and what I've, what I've, the roles I've held in my life, I have a lot of pastor friends. I speak in a lot of churches. And so my point in saying that is not to brag, but to say that Bev and I want to hear the sermons from a lot of our friends. So it's not just our two churches that we want to monitor uh, and, of course, help with. And we teach those churches and what what have you, um, help out. But also I want to check on my other friends, Tim Johnson down in Orlando, for example, and Russ Austin in Jacksonville, Florida. And just, I could just go on and on. We want to see all of those. So we've been trying to monitor uh, our other services and pay attention. And, you know, while we're maybe vacuuming or cleaning up, we'll, we'll run the sermons from one of those services. I want to tell you, I should probably shouldn't have mentioned my friends because now they're going to wonder if I'm criticizing them and I'm not. But on some of the churches, many of the churches that we're trying to monitor, the technology is messed up. We had great difficulty in logging on rather large churches to be able to see their streaming service at the advertised time. So part of what's got to happen here is that we get our stuff together. We get our systems together. We get our tech together. If we, we, we have everybody in the church using a church app and everybody, we stream that way or we, or, we, or we stream some other way. I want us to keep, on, keep in mind that if Facebook suddenly decides that conservative evangelicalism... Uh, 
is given to hate speech, it could shut down all conservative evangelical church services in one fell swoop. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be hard. And so those of us who stream through Facebook could have challenges. We probably should be streaming through our own websites and figuring out that technology. Now, I'm, not, I, I'm very careful not to speak in areas that I'm not an expert, and I'm not going to claim to be your, your tech consultant. I'm trying to raise questions for you to solve. Solve them at your geographical level. Solve them with the culture of your church. Solve them with your tech capabilities. Solve them with your church budget. But be aware that this is going to come back around again, and we ought to be prepared for it. I don't say that as a fear monger. I say that because that's what the church ought to be. And quite frankly, you'll be stronger for it. Think about how devoted your people will be. Think about how you'll grow. Uh, think about how how uh, confident your people will be. Uh, think about how much less you'll be fearing a future coronavirus few weeks um, in the future. If you know your people are able to give, if you know that everybody's able to be cared for and fed, if you know that you've got good tech to keep everybody alive spiritually. In other words, if the church can be the church in the temple courts and house to house, and those of you who have read the book of Acts, you know they had famines, they took up collections, they took care of people, they made sure that the weak had what they needed. If a certain part of the world was prospering, they took up collections for the part that was persecuted and under plague or or under had storms or they had earthquakes or, or, or they had famine going on. This is who we need to be. So on the other side of this, and we will get on the other side of this, I want you to be aware that we should actually mine the valleys, as they say. We should take lessons from this dark experience, carry it into the future, and make it part of our culture. Make the lessons we've learned part of building an ever stronger church. Let me say something that sounds very harsh. I mean it kindly. If you've got a church, if you're a pastor, if you're listening to me right now and you're a pastor, and your church can't survive 30 days meeting at homes with you streaming services, with the people taught and, and given to the, to the value of generosity and giving, tithing, giving, helping people. If, if you lose a great deal of ground, in fact, let me say it positively. If we have the kind of churches we want, after 30 days of quote-unquote going underground, of meeting at home, streaming the services, practicing generosity online, as well as with, with the people in need, et cetera, et cetera, using our homes as basis of outreach in our communities, we ought to return to our big mass Sunday meetings larger numerically, better financed, and stronger and more visionary. In other words, the church going underground just for 30 days for another, let's say, coronavirus situation, it should mean that we're stronger. It should mean that we're more vibrant. It should mean that we're better able to do what we're called to do. Now, I'm not trying to, to, to bitch slap you. I'm not trying to lecture you. I'm not trying to be harsh with you. I'm saying we've got a divine opportunity here. Coronavirus forced many of us to do things that we weren't really ready to do. It will come around again. Of course, we'll get through this coronavirus. Of course, we'll reset. Of course, we'll rise again. Of course, not this the church, but our countries. Uh, they, they, we, they, this is not the end of the world. But what will be stupid is if we go through this and then act like it's never going to happen again, because there will be another hurricane down on the southern coast of the U.S. And there will be another tornado like the one just that just smacked into Nashville while I was there. And, and that, by the way, sucked the roof off of a relative's house. And, and there, there will be uh, plagues in the future in the world. And there will be famines. And there will be government persecution. 
Notice what's happening right now just by government decree. It's not, it's not a, actually a virus that's keeping you from meeting. You could choose to meet despite that. It's government decree that's saying you can't have gatherings of larger than a certain amount. Doesn't make me an anarchist. Doesn't make me hate the government. I trust my government leaders, but we don't know what's going to happen in the future. So Christian leaders, please, and Christians at all levels, because you exercise influence too on those who lead you, be aware that these things will come around again. The biblical pattern, I'm not trying to say we have to be strictly limited to it, but, but, the, but the guiding example of the first century church is big meetings, temple courts, and then small meetings, house to house. Small meetings that are neighborhoods, small meetings that are regional, small meetings that are near where people live, small meetings that can go underground. And yet, given that we have this marvelous technology system, technological systems that allow people to give and learn and be educated, I mean, there's no reason we shouldn't have a completely online educational system uh, that can benefit people no matter how long they have to stay away from large meetings. That's possible today. Okay. What I am is optimistic. What I believe is that we're going to get through this. What I believe is that the church can be stronger than ever, but it has to pay attention to the signs. And I think C-19 coronavirus is, if nothing else, it's many things, but one of the things it is, is the divine lesson for the church. Let's learn the lessons and let's be ready to make the difference in society we're called to make. I love you. I'm proud of you. And great days are ahead. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times best-selling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.